Help us make March 21st, 2019, Nevada's biggest day of giving. Nevadans will unite for 24 hours of online giving to support their favorite organizations just like you during the 8th annual Nevada's Big Give. Join us and raise funds, gain supporters, and make a real impact all in one big day. Register your organization and find all the tools you need to make your organization successful during the Big Give at nvbiggive.org. Nonprofit governance. Nonprofit answers. Nonprofit board. Nonprofit management. Nonprofit marketing. Nonprofit resources. The Alliance for Nevada Nonprofits presents Nonprofit Everything, the podcast about everything nonprofit, with your host, Andy Shurick and Stacy Wedding. Well, welcome, everybody, to another episode of Nonprofit Everything. I'm Andy Schurcht. I'm Stacy Wedding. And we're here to answer all of your questions about nonprofit stuff. Just as a reminder, this is a production of the Alliance for Nevada Nonprofits, which is the State Association for Nonprofits in Nevada. Uh, go check out their website. It's their, There's some new stuff up on there. You should actually check it out. There's a cool new member area that's got interesting things on it. Um, so it's a good resource. If you're not a member, go ahead and join. That's actually the best way that you can support our podcast is to join Anne as a member. Um, not only you continue to get this for free because you always will get this for free, but you can actually help support it. Um, there's an easier way to ask questions and you can get tons of other resources. And we, of course, would love for you to share this. If you like this, please share it. Please, you know, rate us. Please do any of that. Submit questions. We want your continued participation and interaction. It's what brings us to life. How do you add and remove board members? We have a member who needs to resign and then we need to replace her. I assume we have to vote on it, but I'm not sure if it's just a majority or what. Well, you know, there's so many layers to this that could we could probably talk about all day, right? So adding and removing board members, I think removing is a whole probably, you know, podcast in and of itself because it depends on what the circumstances are but in the in the circumstance of someone resigning so that happens right and oftentimes typically you have something or should have something in your bylaws that talks about you know accepting or you have some kind of policy if it's not in your bylaws that talks a bit about that process of what happens what should happen right theoretically is um that person resigns in writing in some form or fashion, even if it's an email, if it's not a formal letter, right? And then that is taken to the full board to accept that resignation. And then that's documented in the minutes, right? So that's, you want to be able to show kind of that formal, um, kind of that, that formal acceptance of that resignation. Can you, can you not accept a resignation? Well, so this is, this leads me to, oh my God, uh, this, the story from, um, from hell, right. That happened. Um, there was a nonprofit I had been doing some work with and it was interesting because their board chair only got onto the board because of this particular board member. Um, you know, it was like one of those things like Andy, come on, like join me, be on this board with me. Right. Like, and so this person, joined the board because of that, then became the board chair. And the woman who originally was the reason he joined the board resigned. And he, as board chair, decided he didn't want to accept her resignation. So <laughs> he got, you know, his feathers in a ruffle and said, no, I'm not accepting your resignation. I'm, we're not going to, we're not going to do this. The board didn't know what to do. So long story short, he ended up not like he wouldn't accept it. He still send it, sent 
they sent, they kept her name on letterhead and on the website. They sent all this. They kept sending her board materials. Long, to make a very long story short, she ended up getting an attorney because she was like, I have tendered my resignation. They won't accept it. And I'm not attending board meetings. And this actually means that I, <laughs> that I am being held liable for board decisions right. when I am no longer on the board. So you absolutely, that's the only time in like my history of working with nonprofits and boards that I've seen that happen, but that got really icky. So it is best to have some sort of written statement somewhere that you accept or resignate. You, you, I mean, you know, you can't force someone to stay, right? <laughs> I can't, yeah, that's what I was wondering. I mean, you can't force, like, someone doesn't get forced to stay, just like you can't force an employee to stay that's paid. This is a volunteer position. So anyways, so yeah, you need to accept it. You need to formally accept it. You need to document that in your minutes. And then, right, you need to, but then that actually leads down a whole other thing. I don't think people even think about just like what you do with employees, how you sort of change their passwords or do whatever you got to do to make sure they don't have access to things. What's interesting with so many things happening with online board portals and information these days, people aren't thinking through that process Mm. of, you need to think through the same process of, okay, they get removed from our board mailing list or, you know, our board email list, right? They get removed from the board portal that they had access to. So it's interesting. It's kind of this new wave of technology. People need to think through that. Yeah. Yeah. Who did you share the Google Drive password with? Exactly. (laughs) Right. You got to kind of go through that. So anyway, so as far as like removing and resignation, and then as far as do you need to replace her? I mean, that really needs to be a discussion among your board or if you have a board governance committee or, or whomever handles that function, because, um, in general, I mean, is this person leaving? Would that in any way have an impact on quorum? Would it impact sort of the board um, dynamics? Like, was that a strong personality? Was that uh, more of someone who was like the peacemaker? What kind of skills and expertise did they bring? You really need to think through what will that person's departure, right? How will that impact your board and it it will impact a board, right? Because everyone has their own sort of role or dynamic within a board. So so there needs to be some conscious thought, but it's also a great opportunity. I mean, we all know, right, that board member that's the dead weight that you are like celebrating when they resign because <laughs> you didn't know they you didn't even know who they were anymore because they never come to board meetings. So like I also think it's a great opportunity to think about who like who do we want to put in that position, right? We don't have to rush it. Doesn't have to be like we're desperate to fill that spot, but who do we want to replace that? Maybe the board got too large and it's okay that that person's gone. So I think it just needs to be some healthy discussion. internal candidate for executive director and will be meeting with the board for a first round interview. As an internal candidate who knows about the organization already, I'm wondering what questions I should ask the board at this interview. Okay, so first, I'm going to apologize because because this is a podcast and we answer questions and um, not immediately, I'm, I'm going to guess you've already had your interview. <laughs> and so you, this is probably too yeah. little too late for you. Um, but for others listening, for right? Others listening, you might yeah, benefit. We're, yeah. we're totally going to answer the question for others listening, but I just, I want to give you like an alternative way to get faster questions answered. So um, if, you know, we're happy to do stuff on the podcast, but, but be aware that when you send us a question, it could be a month, a month and a half before your question actually hits the air. Um, because we get enough, right? which is nice. So um, if you want a question answered and like you really need help with something like that, um, email Anne. 
So email Anne directly, the Alliance for Nevada Nonprofits. If you go to their webpage, there's a contact us form. Click in that, type in that, and someone will get back to you. Like we will be able to connect you with somebody that can give you, and at least connect you with somebody to ask those questions Absolutely. to in a more timely fashion than a podcast. So like, this is not this is not nonprofit nine one one. If your if your house is on fire, Yikes, yeah. like don't call us because right. <laughs> it will be burnt to the ground by the time we get there. So just I just wanted to throw that out because I felt bad when I saw the question coming through. Going, oh, you know what? We're know. never going to be able to get to that one. Okay, so to answer the question, um, you do know a lot about the organization. I think the biggest challenge um, with being an internal candidate is the board feels like they already know you. And they already know you in the role that you're currently in. So um, if you, for example, were the finance person. So say you're the finance person. um, The board's interaction with you up to this point has probably been giving financial reports, leading executive committee meetings on um, investments. They They go through the budget process with you. You might have a committee and you might be really well known with those committee folks. I'm going to suspect that everybody on there thinks that you're a math nerd and have no social skills, yeah. suck at yeah. presenting, like all of the things that, that they just, all stereotypes. the stereotypes, yeah, all the stereotypes of a finance person, they're going to apply to you regardless of whether that is true. Um, and, or, or maybe, or maybe you were a programs person and you're really good at going out and talking to people and you, you understand really, really well about like what the, what the need is in your community and all that kind of stuff. But like, they don't know you can raise money. They don't know that you can know what a finance the person does or what a spreadsheet is, right? So you're coming with just this very small, limited, in their perspective, you're coming in with a limited um, understanding of what it takes to to run an organization. Um, I've seen, I've talked to boards all the time, and and to be honest, they won't even hire somebody that doesn't already have CEO experience. Like if you're moving from organization to organization, the only reason they're going to look at you is if you have CEO on your resume or founder or or executive director or something on your resume, because they figure you're the only person that's potentially qualified for that role. So, so the questions that you should ask should all be around what makes you a well-rounded candidate for, for the top job. Um, and how you're not going to spend all your time with your head in spreadsheets and that you understand going out and talking to people in the community is a big part of your job. Um, a lot of times it's an uphill battle. Um, nonprofits sometimes, I mean, it's a terrible analogy, but sometimes it's like war, like World War II, right? Where, you know, you came in as a private, but by the time the battle was over, you're in charge because everybody else is dead. Like, so in, in some of those organizations, you might get the top job regardless of what you whether or not you yeah. really want it. Yeah. Um, but in other places that are relatively stable, it, it can be an uphill battle. I've noticed just sort of in my experience that you're much more likely to um, advance in nonprofits if you hop organizations. Yeah, so, which is such a shame. Well, that, it's reality, though. It is reality, but it bothers me because I sit there and I go, when you are an internal candidate, I don't think we're doing enough in the nonprofit sector of actually allowing room for growth for internal candidates. And it's because it's right. It's the grass is always greener. Something's always sexier. Like, you know, there's something out there that might be better because we kind of know what we've got, but it's like, from out of state. Yeah. Right? Oh, it gosh. has to be somebody from somewhere and I'm else. Just, yeah. Anyway, sometimes I, that works. It's, sometimes but, it does. I'm not against it, but no I go like. No offense, EDs that we've hired from out of state. Yes, you guys are all no awesome, offense. right? But, <laughs> but I'm just kind of like, give the person, how does the person, right? A person shouldn't have to leave your organization to get, if they are qualified to be your next executive director, mm-hmm. don't make them go through that hoop of jumping out of your organization, right? Yeah. I, yeah. So one of the things I was thinking, because I completely agree, like, I think, your point is well taken, Andy, of you want somebody who, like the questions to ask, if you can ask them in a way that allow you to showcase, right, your 
the things the board hasn't seen with you today, that would be great. I mean, and you know, and if, if the question can't ask it, then just find a way to say it. Say, you know, I, I'd like when, you know, hopefully you get the question of anything else you'd like to share with us. And if you haven't been able to do it to that point, I think it's a great opportunity to say, you know, you, you haven't seen this side, but I want to share my experience with this, my thoughts on this, whatever, like, you know, be prepared to showcase your sort of full breadth of experience and services. I think that's that's brilliant. And I think it's important to ask with any transition. I mean, we don't know the circumstances, right? Did the last executive director leave on their own? Were they let go? Um, did they retire? What were those? So I think that can lead to some different kinds of questions too, depend because you are the internal, use your internal strength, right? You know more about this organization than any other candidate. So think about that and how you can ask questions around that. And I also think it's important to get, you know, sort of a sense from the board or the search committee, you know, what do you see as the, what are their priorities in their mind for the new executive director? What do they see as the relationship between the board and the executive director? Um, you know, that's going to be important to know that regardless of where you've been. But th- those are important questions, especially if they've thought about you in one certain role. It's going to be important for them to ask them the questions so they have to think about it and articulate it a bit. Yeah, the you because you have so much information on the organization i mean the you shouldn't start thinking about i want to be the ed of this organization like as soon as it becomes vacant it's the kind of thing that you need to be considering the entire time that exactly. you're there like if that's your if that's the seat that you want to be in at the end of it you need to be doing everything you can to make sure that you're prepared for that um so the so the questions you ask the board are you know are you aware that you know i right. have done these kinds of things you know i've been you know i've been knee deep in fundraising stuff even though i'm not a fundraising person because i really think it's a fascinating thing i love to learn about it i want to you know i want to i want to grow in that area, you know, or I'm on the board of another organization and we do fundraising for them, you know, so you should be preparing yourself career wise um, and then making sure that the board is aware of that. Absolutely. All right. Today, we have a special guest. Today, we're talking to Kevin Dincher. He serves in the role of strategic advisor for professionals in philanthropy, where he provides facilitation, strategic planning, organizational development services, and consulting to PIP and their clients. Welcome, Kevin. Thank you. Good to be here. So here's the question. We're trying to get more efficient and effective by implementing some new technology. Some of our employees are really resisting this, and I can't figure out how to motivate them. The only incentive that seems to have any effect is more money, and that's not really something we can do. Do you have any ideas? Sure. Um, (laughs) You know, change is always harder than we think it should be, and it takes longer than we think it should be. And it takes, first of all, a lot of patience. But, you know, there are things you can do to move kind of a a transition period along. Uh, Some of them are just basic standard management practices, like having one-on-one meetings with people and making a discussion about the changes that you want to make uh, part of that and setting goals with individuals around that. Um, But there are other things, and I, I think, and the one thing I always ask people about is, is what they're doing with their communication around the change. Um, you know, people have a tendency to say, okay, we're going to do this. And then that's kind of the end of the communication, but it really needs to be part of an ongoing process, recognizing that 
there's a transition. There's, there's movement that has to happen. And part of the way you communicate helps that move along. So uh, two things that we normally communicate, which are important, is what the changes and why we're making it. But we don't always then clarify what the expectations are. So we're making this change. This is why we need to make it. But also then, okay, we need to have this change in place by such and such a date with everybody working together on it. Like we need to have this, we need to have everybody on board moving in this direction uh, by the end of the quarter. So we start the new year off so that it's clear to people what, what, what the expectations around time are. But also, are you going to um, include this in their performance review? Um, so ex expectations, what, what can they expect from this? The third thing that needs to be part of the communication is, is almost always overlooked. And that's a question about what are the benefits, very concrete, specific benefits. How does making this change actually benefit your organization or your team? How does it actually very concretely uh, benefit your clients? And people need to have the question answered, how does this really benefit me? Um, how does, how, what do I get out of making this change? And we have a tendency to leave those kind of concrete, very, very specific, what's in it for me, questions unanswered. Um, I did some work with some folks not too long ago um, who had to upgrade the way they did their reporting for funding. And the manager said, okay, well, we need to, we, we're going to, we're going to adopt this new approach. We're going to use this new technology. We're going to, we're really going to upgrade things. And it's, 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 we want to do it to become more efficient, more effective in what we're doing. What she didn't communicate to them was that she was getting flack from funders about the quality of their reporting and that she was trying to get more money from a funder who in turn was threatening to cut off funding because their reporting was so bad and mm. it was inaccurate and it was late. And she never communicated that the benefit of doing this was we're going to secure funding, we're going to increase funding, it's going to help us maintain this program that we're working on, and by the way, it's going to give us money to hire new staff to make your job easier. She didn't communicate all of those benefits to people. Once she did that, People started. Oh, okay. Let's let's get on board with this. So that that what's what's in it for me question really does need to be answered to get people motivated. So one of the things that I've I've noticed that makes that third one a challenge is um, when when the benefit doesn't accrue to the individual. So for yeah. example, we've, you know, in, in certain technology projects, it may be that your job's going to get harder and this is going to make you have to do new things that you've not done before. And I can't give you a, a reason that this is going to make you happy at all. Do you have anything that, you know, that, that can help maybe address that challenge? Well, one of the, one of the things that I, I do is I, you have to, it is, it is, at least during the transition period, going to make your life harder. There's just no question about that. The point is, okay, now am I relaxing other requirements to compensate for that? So this is going to make your job harder in the short run. In the long run, it's going to make your job easier. So in the short run, what, what changes, what, what can we adjust so that this added burden of learning new technology, learning new stuff, isn't going to kill you. So, for instance, I did 
Many years ago, I worked as a manager for a nonprofit retreat and conference center. And when I took over, everybody was doing all everything by hand. It, the contracts were uh, reservation contracts were being done by hand. The 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 invoicing was being done behind by hand. It, it was just horrible. Um, but they were also had time limits on when they had to get this stuff done by. So they had to, if, if a contract came in, it had to be mailed out by within 12 hours. If an invoice had to be done within six hours of the end of the, of the end of the, of the program. So in order to make their lives easier while they were learning the new stuff, I extended all of those deadlines so that they actually had more time to do the work. Ultimately, it came back, they, once they were on board with all of this, once they learned the new skills, they were doing this, like everything was happening immediately because everything was integrated and, and it just made things a lot better. But you have to find ways to compensate them for that extra time it's gonna take them while they're learning to do this stuff. If you don't, if you don't do that, they just get more and more frustrated. Um, and 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 they resist doing the change. I just <laughs> I just bought myself some new uh, photo editing software, and it's got all the bells and whistles on it. My old stuff had very it was very very limited. Well, I don't I don't have time to learn the new software, so I open up something to work on it in the new software, and after about two two minutes, I go I got to go back to the old stuff because <laughs> I don't I don't have time. <laughs> I close the picture down, open it up in the old software. <laughs> yeah, well, that makes a lot of sense because a lot of times in specifically in technology changes that you don't, you're not really giving people um, more time to get their work done. You're, you're just adding an, an additional layer of complexity and not giving them any slack on getting stuff done. That's a, I think that's a really interesting point. Um, you're, you're really just adding, you're, you're adding extra work, the work of learning, learning the new process, learning the new technology. Yeah. So, so it's sort of as a related question, when, when you have employees that may have been doing the same thing the same way for a very, very long time, and, and it's not so much that they're, they don't want to learn something new, it's that they've optimized their current process to the point where they, you know, having done it for 20 years or whatever, they don't mm -hmm. think it's possible to do it any faster mm -hmm. or any more effective. Mm -hmm. how, how, what would you say to a person that was using that as an excuse to not change? Well, yet, 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 the question then becomes, what, what are you doing to help them become more competent in what they're doing? So, uh, in, in the new stuff. So, you know, sometimes it's it's about gaining knowledge. Sometimes it, it is about breaking old habits and the way they're used to doing things and the patterns. Um, sometimes it's an issue of confidence. They they just don't have the confidence in their ability to do the new new stuff or confidence in the new stuff to do what they need it to do. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times what I do with the managers then is I say, okay, are you providing the, the right level of support for folks? And sometimes that's training, but sometimes it's coaching and mentoring and spending time with them. Um, like I said, part of it's adjusting expectations, but being clear on what those expectations are. So are, are they getting the support and the direction? Are they getting the, the is the supervisor doing their role of supervising and helping them and supporting and showing them this, it, they need that. 
they can't just be told, okay, here's, here's this new stuff. Here's why we're doing it. Here's why it's going to work for you. Now go do it. Um, it, it, it they'll just back off on that. I, people don't like to have to learn new ways of doing things when the old way has worked for them. I did a, a consulting uh, work with a pharmaceutical company that had purchased another company and was trying to integrate staff and restructure. And people just kept going around the new structure because it worked for them. <laughs> now, you really do need to provide the training and the coaching and the mentoring, and it needs to be really, really ongoing. Um, it, we can't just say, okay, here's your lesson, go do it. Uh, practice, practice, and practice. Um, and you need to be, you know, when you're talking about this stuff, you need to be real positive in the way you talk about it. Um, you're, not only, you're not only communicating information, but you're communicating attitude. And if your attitude is, oh, this is a real pain in the neck, that's the attitude that everyone is going to say, yeah, we know it is. And everyone then is kind of down in the dumps about it. Um, you want to be realistic. It's, you don't want to make it sound like it's going to be easier than it's going to be. But you have to be able to express that enthusiasm that this is going to be really good, that in the, that yes, if we're going to struggle with this, but, uh, but we can do it. You, you need to express confidence in people. Part of it is the only is the tone and the attitude that you bring to the way you talk about it. That makes sense. Um, you know, and the other piece of that is, you know, is, is the repetition. You have to keep talking about it. You can't just do it once and say, okay, here's, here's what we're going to do. And this is why we're going to do it. And then never talk about it again. Right. There, there needs to be this repetition of communication. They need to hear it over and over and over again. And so you, you, need, you need to spend time crafting your message so that it's consistent. It's positive. It's, it, 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 gives people a picture of what's really going on. I always tell people, sit down with your, if you've got a management team, sit down with your management team, work out your talking points, work out your, your, your taglines, whatever, so that everybody's on the same page with the communication. And then just repeat the message over and over and over and over again. Do it at staff meetings, at your one-on-ones, and, and, and create opportunities to talk about it. I had a, a, a work with a manager who would um, he would track progress on, on stuff regarding their, their change in reporting. And he put it on his wall. And when people came in to talk about something, they'd have a question and he'd, he'd deal with their question. And then he'd say, hey, hang on a minute, I got a question for you about, and he'd ask a question about the changes that were going on. Mm-hmm. So he was, he was creating the opportunity to talk about it. And it's just, it, they have to hear it over and over and over again. So I guess if I'm reading between the lines a little bit, if your management team isn't 100% bought into whatever this is, you're kind of dead in the water. If you have a management team that isn't bought into it, you're, you're, you're having trouble. Yeah. Um, then you need to spend time working with your management team to get them on board and communicating with them uh, so that they're giving a consistent message. It doesn't do you any good to stand there and say, okay, here's, here's the good things that are going to happen. This is why we're doing it. This is how it's going to benefit us. What, what training do you need? What support do you need? And then have someone on your management team say, oh, God, I can't believe we're doing this. So one of, the, one of the parts of the question was that the manager thinks that the only way that motivates these employees is, is cash money. What, what do you think of that? 
we, we really need to show appreciation for folks as they do make the change and, and not just wait till the end and say, okay, we did it. Um, but throughout the process, we need to find ways of, of celebrating the wins. Too often we, we focus on, okay, what's not going right in the change? Uh, wh where are we getting stuck? And those are good questions to ask yourself. But we also need to be able to show people, okay, we see the progress you're making. Um, nothing breeds success like recognizing that people are succeeding um, and thanking them, appreciating them. And money isn't necessarily the way to do that. Most people don't have extra money to do that, but there are other ways to show appreciation, um, but they do take work. So an example of that, I had, I worked with a manager who had a, a team of about 12 that he worked, that, that he needed, needed to move along and make some changes in their their procedures and whatnot that were pretty difficult. And he actually sat down and wrote each of them an individual handwritten note, um, very, very tailored to that specific person. So that that person got this note that expressed thanks for what they were doing in it. And it was sort of like stunning because they were sort of used to getting mass emails. Oh, thank you everybody for the work you're doing on this. Making this an individual thing really helped people feel much better about the work they were doing on the change. Um, he actually took the note and attached it to a, a little box of chocolates for everybody. So it cost him a, it cost him a few dollars to do this, but it was just this little thing. Uh, another one, he would track like, okay, we're 25% there, we're 50% there, we're 75% there. And each time he did one of those milestones, he would do something like, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna treat you to lunch for today and would have a small lunch catered for people and explain this is why it was happening. You know, we, we made this progress. So you have to find these little ways of, of talking to people, congratulating them uh, and being real creative about it so that they do feel appreciated even though you don't have, you can't give them a raise, you can't give them a bonus, but you can do these little things. They just take work. That's a wrap. You survived, you made it through, you listened and hopefully got a nugget or two of information you can use moving forward. So thanks for joining us for another episode of Nonprofit Everything. And as always, we appreciate uh, your listenership, your loyalty, and we would just encourage you to continue to uh, engage with us, right? Go to nonprofiteverything.com, um, go to the Ann website and find us or, you know, whatever, just Get in touch with one of us and let us know what's on your mind and we'll be sure to cover it. Mm -hmm.